It's Monday, May 23rd, and this is Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill, and joining me in studio today from Motley Fool Asset Management, Bill Mann. That's true. From Stock Advisor, Alex Scherer. I am. And from Million Dollar Portfolio, Ron Gross. How you doing? Guys, we... (laughs) We will look at Krispy Kreme's sweet earnings and Toyota's new friend in just a moment. But first, global stocks sank the most in two months amid signs Europe's debt crisis is getting worse. Bill Mann, I will start with you. Uh, Here's just some of the good news. Commodities down. The euro hit a new uh, record low versus the Swiss franc. I don't know what that means, but it sounds bad. Uh, S&P said it could lower Italy's debt rating within two years. I mean... Everything that's not awesome is down. Yeah, it just it sounds like a train wreck outside of our borders. I think the great thing about this is how surprised everyone is. You know, this feels like, hey, the top story from 2009. There's debt problems in Europe. The Greeks are rioting. What a shock. What a shock. Yeah. So, I... I think the amazing thing to me is that it is is how relatively poorly the dollar has has done against the euro over the last year because I mean you want to talk about you want to talk about a place with problems Europe doesn't even have the rules by which to handle what's coming down the pike with Spain with Italy you know much less what they're already dealing with with Greece which the problem with Greece right now is that they've got a set of rules by which you know they 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 have to be reforming and they're not anywhere close and need more money. So what is the effect for U.S. investors, Ron? How, how does this affect me? Well, certainly we live in a connected society now. There, there's no isolationism uh, going on, at least not yeah. significantly. And you know, 20% of the S&P 500 uh, profits of the companies within the S&P come from Europe. So all, all our U.S. companies, for the most part, are affected in some way. Um, whether we have a strong dollar or a weak dollar uh, has a, an effect as well. Uh, and, you, you know, when, when people are fleeing to the U.S. dollar for safety, you know we're in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> wow, it's not bad. <laughs> because we're we're not so uh, we're not so strong at the moment either. So we're the most uh, in terms of currency. The U.S. dollar is the most sober drunk on the road. Is yeah, that the, the least deal? bad. I think the U.S. society is as well. I mean, in in, in Europe, the uh, uh, some of the biggest problems are that uh, the governments are just not capable of putting on the austerity measures that are necessary, and it's because the society just simply won't tolerate it. I think we just had a uh, government change in Spain that uh, yeah uh, that, that, that that's putting us on uh, or putting them on exactly the same path, that they're just not going to be able to put the measures in place that they need to. And if you have a country that defaults on its debt, a major country like Spain or Italy or Greece, that has serious worldwide ramifications for banks across the world and for uh, individual investors. Exactly. I mean, you you think, well, yeah, obviously, you know, obviously a government could default on its debt. But what happens is who they default to. I mean, they're defaulting not just to European banks. They're, They're defaulting to, you know, for example, pension funds everywhere. Mm-hmm. They're, they're defaulting to really to, to, to everybody. And because banks are leveraged institutions, when you have a default, that means a huge amount of their equity will disappear. My question is, does Europe take the summer off this year, as they're prone to do, or do they decide to maybe work through the summer, because things are a little bit tough? The 17 saints holidays, (laughs) you have to pick your favorite five saints. So, so, I mean, what is is the next big shoe to drop? What is the next thing that you're watching, Bill, when when you look overseas? You know, I... The amazing thing to me, and we were talking about this off the air, is is the fact that uh, people are actually listening to the ratings agencies. I mean, part of what's going on today is that the ratings agencies have lowered the Italian debt, which 
I think we saw from 2008 that, that the ratings agencies haven't exactly been ahead of the game. Yeah, well, it's not like the ratings agencies are actually bringing new information to the market today, obviously. That's not yeah. the, the market's not reacting to something that S&- Standard & Poor's analysts discovered that nobody else knew. But they are uh, reacting to But the they're reacting that, to something, yeah, right? Yeah, well, it's because the ratings agencies that are part of the structure and their uh, their statements have real consequences, forced consequences. If, if, a, if a bond gets downgraded to below investment grade, there are a large number of holders of that bond that have to sell. And if you get into these forced selling yeah. situations, then that's when you get snowballs rolling downhill and some real, you know, real problems. It's like that, uh, the, you know, the, the Bugs Bunny line, you know, la- watch that last step, it's a Lulu. I mean, yeah, we're, we're, we're coming up on the Lulu. All right, moving on. Shares of Krispy Kreme jumped 21% after the company reported Mm, its strongest quarterly profit in seven years. Same-store sales rose nearly 6%, the 10th consecutive quarterly increase. Ron Gross. Yeah. They're sending Alex a thank you card for all the donuts. (laughs) Alex did his his job there. Yeah, Krispy Kreme, who knew? Is this still a company? I, that's what I was wondering. That's what shocked me about the $500 million market cap? What did it used to be? $3 billion or so? Yeah, Something like that. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, if, if, if our listeners will recall, they had uh, quite a bit of trouble back in 2005. Everything from poor sales and bankruptcy uh, into some of their franchisees and SEC investigations into their accounting. They didn't file their quarterly reports for a bit. Um, so things are better. Yeah. <laughs> Let's just uh, say that. And they, they do have some nice same-store sales uh, increases and, and profit increases as well. So the company's coming back a bit. So what is the key for them going forward besides avoiding SEC investigations? <laughs> you know, with franchises, the key is always to make sure that you have the right franchisees and then that you're giving them the proper support. Yeah. Um, for otherwise, example, not having the CEO down. be a franchisee also. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah, that, yeah. So that, that's, they need baseline. to focus. Yeah. Well, it's a totally different story today. I mean, that was that was go-go growth phase and they were f- trying to force growth that they that they just simply couldn't achieve given the products uh, and the scale that they were uh, trying to achieve. It's, it's a totally different story today. This is now an abandoned stock. Uh, the fact that the stock is rising on increasing yeah. sales is you know it, it's just completely diff- uh, a completely different story turnaround situation yeah the returns have gone from 100% awful to 97% right. awful right. i mean the thing with the, the thing with crispy cream and the thing that they you know like for example crispy cream is from my home state and i come from a town of a million people i guess it's not a town it's a city yeah. and we had one crispy cream and so what was happening when they started franchising and started their rapid growth they tried to put them on every other block of new york and the way that Krispy Kreme works is that it's very capitally expen- you know, intensive to build these, you know, to to build the stores because you have all the machinery. And Krispy Kreme was making all of its money on the machinery, so they were happy as can be to sell it. But you know, so they've got a new model now, and I love oh, those donuts. I mean, <laughs> like, I'll be honest with you, like, you know, they taste awfully they, good. They, well, they're very good. Well, speaking of which, we were talking earlier in the month about Dunkin' Donuts. Uh, Dunkin' Brands filed uh, for an IPO, so yeah, that, yeah. that'll be happening later this year. If you're Dunkin' Donuts and you're watching uh, Krispy Kreme, what um, what are you trying to learn from the way Krispy Kreme has sort of the ride that Krispy Kreme has had over the last ten years? Well, I don't know if Dunkin' Donuts will learn this, but this is something that Dunkin' Donuts prospective investors ought to learn. And it's that if Krispy Kreme has shown anything, it is that fantastic donuts 
for one man is not fantastic donuts for another. Yeah. Donuts <laughs> seem to be a very re- uh, a very specific regional taste. No, that's and part nuts, of Krispy dude. Kreme's problems was that their expansion uh, was going into a market that they just couldn't oh, saturate so the same way. Krispy I'm telling Kreme's you, awesome. you, you disagree? If, well, can you imagine? Have you all been, you've been to Boston? I assume if you, if you can imagine the number of Dunkin' Donuts in Boston, I mean, literally, you can see three on every single block. If they try to you know have that kind of growth and that kind of expansion across the U.S., or if investors expect they, that kind of growth and expansion, they're they're going to be sorely disappointed. Well, they are. I mean, the Krispy Kreme story was, hey, we're a regional store and we're going to go everywhere. I mean, I was in Jakarta and there were, you know, there there are Dunkin' Donuts on every other block. I mean, Dunkin' Donuts has grown. So you're not. I think the lesson for you know for Dunkin' Donuts and for any company for the investors is that growth isn't always what it's cracked up to be. Companies that you know, companies that are, that that really really push growth are sometimes cutting some corners, and you really have to be careful and recognize the fact that you know organic growth is probably better than than really pushing it. Ron, one, final word. One thing that concerns me with Dunkin' Donuts is while again it's a franchise, uh, while their menus are somewhat uniform. Um, the service is not, uh, and this is anecdotal. Um, you, yeah, you, can, you can get. I, I've been to more than one. Can we just say that? Yeah. And you can get a perfect experience in one, and an absolute horrible experience in another. And another thing. And, and for franchises, that is is kind of a recipe for disaster. I'm trying to make a serious business point, and all I get is crap. No, I, we're, I think we're all agreeing with you. Well, you know, yeah, the for, so, I mean, their service can be a disaster. And the formats of their store, up, the formats of their stores aren't uniform either. Right. So, I mean, I don't. You know, they have some efficiency that they can ring out. They do have some good coffee, though. Yeah. Love the coffee. Toyota's year-long independent panel has completed its work and has offered the company dozens of recommendations. Among Please them, stop being so bad. <laughs> among them, hire more powerful regional managers and have some foreigners on the board of directors. Uh, Bill Mann, good advice for Toyota? It is absolutely good advice for, for, for Toyota. I Japan is a very interesting case. It's a, it, you know it's a market that I try to get to get excited about, but it is it it is such an insular market that you have, for example, in Japan, almost all of their companies have the annual meetings on the same day, and they do this so that shareholders can't come in and 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 foment and muck things up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, they they can't come in and, for example, give their opinions. Um, so I, I, I'm I'm very much pro you know Toyota. Bringing you know, bringing a little bit of new blood from outside of Japan in because I think Japan, you know, Japan is a is a market that ought to be a lot better than it is. Now, earlier today, Toyota unveiled Toyota Friend, a Ooh. social networking service, Ooh. so that drivers can interact with their cars. Hello, friend. <laughs> in a demonstration at a Tokyo showroom, the owner of a plug-in Prius hybrid got a <laughs> got a text message on his cell phone from his Prius. That he should remember to recharge the car overnight. God. When he plugged in the car to recharge it, the car replied, the charge will be completed by 2.15 a.m. Oh, Is that okay? See you tomorrow. It's lucky there are oh. no handguns. The in- see you tomorrow <laughs> is the creepy part. I mean, it's, uh, uh, you know, the, the thing I don't get, and this is just the, the final part of the story, is that these exchanges can be kept private or they can be shared with other Toyota friend users as well as made public on Facebook, Twitter. And uh, what... <laughs> I mean, I own a Toyota. What does Toyota think? How much information oh, does man. Toyota think I want to share right. about my relationship with my car? <laughs> the problem is playing Farmville while you're driving. It's almost impossible. 
Chris, I'm, you took that corner kind of fast. I mean, this, this, doesn't this? Why does it have to have that creepy voice? <laughs> I'm just saying. I'm suggesting it might as well if it's going to be passive aggressive. But I'm doesn't sorry, you, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, but doesn't that seem like such a disconnect? Two stories about Toyota. One, uh, an independence year-long independent study with what appears to be some very meaningful recommendations, oh. and then. What seems like an absolute waste of time. Well, I've, got a, I've got a question how real this is. Toyota spent $8.9 billion in research and development last year. They have put $5.5 million towards this effort, $12 million total if you include uh, they've got Microsoft. Their money worth. And, yeah, well, exactly. But I, I don't know how real that, you know, what can you do with uh, $12 million? You could, uh, you could give me a shot. <laughs> <laughs> Just give me a shot. Yeah, that's right. I, mean, I, I a, bet I'd Toyota. be precious as, at it. As a non handy guy, I appreciate the new cars that you know tell you when it's time to bring your car in for <laughs> servicing or you're you are low about on to oil. have a problem i don't really need the friend part of it that uh, seems to be a little well, step you're in an the old man direction. see <laughs> yeah, it's true let me tell you what i would like though yeah like if you're going down i-95 and at exit 32 there's like a, an awesome chili house like the car going, you might want to pull off here. <laughs> now you tie it in with the uh, Zagat diamond guy. Exactly. Nice. Now that's that's what I'm talking about. Alex, what about you? What are you looking for out of a, a Toyota friend? Uh, well, I, I think I would actually get a friend. Allowed to, you're allowed to give it a name, right? Sure. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna name it Harold Camping, and I'm going to ask it <laughs> when the Rapture is coming because he's 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 you know he's given it a couple of tries and he's gotten it wrong, but it may be you know maybe the right time and maybe it's my Toyota friend. That I was gonna say when we, when we taped uh, our last market. Last week, I, I did wonder. Well, you know, what are the chances that's our last one ever? Oh, because man. the rapture comes. We, we played Blondie Rapture all day. On <laughs> but I don't need to know when my battery's ready if the rapture's coming. So that's really kind of a more important question that I would like my Toyota friend to answer. All right, Ron, what about you? The only thing I require of my Toyota friend is to remember when my wife's birthday and my anniversary <laughs> are, <laughs> and, and we're good. <laughs> at, at say before five fifteen. Right. <laughs> Give me two hours' notice, friend. <laughs> Ron Gross, Alex Scherer, Bill Mann. Guys, thanks for being here. Thanks, Chris. Ron, you know today's your wife's birthday. (laughs) (laughs) As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. Our producer is Matt Greer. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. I got her a watch. <laughs> How dare you? You know, I got I got married I got married on my birthday, so I wouldn't have that problem. Genius, <laughs> Alex Scherer, <That's> genius. Right. <laughs> on your bre- birthday, she has to give you a present. That's right, and oh. and my father in law threw me a heck of a birthday party. Wow. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> that was the last one. <laughs> All right. Once again, not a bit of wisdom imparted to the investing public.